myself as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. Okay, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. I'm here with my new friend, Silvana Montero from BC Bits, who we met on Instagram, what, like two months ago? Something like that. Something like that. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, tell us a little bit about BC Bits. BC Bits. Well, it's pretty much that. It's little bits of bike love. Um, I wanted to do something that would inspire women girls especially to get out on their bike and ride and just uh spread ride smiles um basically that's it just wanted to get people out there smiling because they were riding their bike it works for me (laughs) you know and how to build it up bit by bit so um it just kind of came together because it was little bits of art and little bits of design and little bits of things so Excellent. Like your earrings, you've got uh, little chain rings, right? Thanks. Yeah, they're my superpower, big chain rings. And uh, I do custom steel um, designs for jewelry and um, some of my bike artwork and stuff. So Nice. Yeah. And you're from Texas, right? I'm living in Texas. Living in Texas. I'm living in Texas. <laughs> Residing in Texas. <laughs> Residing in Texas. I'm actually from Uruguay. Um, originally born in, from, in Uruguay and um, went to school in Canada, outside of Montreal. Moved to Texas and then moved all around in between. And Texas and Colorado are home base now. Okay. So uh, how long did you live in Uruguay before you moved to Canada? I was young when we moved. Uh, I was probably five, six years old. And uh, yeah, it was during some turbulent times down there. Okay. So we moved to Canada in 65. Ooh, I'm dating myself. Okay. No, it was 66, 67. Yeah, it was 67. Okay. Right around there. I'm probably making that up. <laughs> That's all right. There's, there's no right fact. around there. <laughs> there's no fact checker here. It's there, fine. There, there was an expo. Yeah, there you can check it. There was a big expo in Canada then. Yeah. And when did you start riding? When did your was, relationship with the bike with the start? Bike, I was on the back of my brother's bike. I believe he had training wheels. I used to think it was a tricycle, but he said, no, he never had one of those. So it was training wheels. I was on the on his training wheels in the back and decided that that was the coolest feeling. And, you know, you can fly. Yeah. It's just great. It was like, I didn't even have to hang on to him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> And um, I thought that was just what I wanted to do was just fly, really. And um, started riding my own bike. And we used to fight to get, you know, we had training wheels back then. Then those cool little scooter bikes like they have now. Oh, yeah. So um, had my dad take my training wheels off as soon as possible. And we lived on a hill and it was like, oh, yeah, that's it. Downhill. (laughs) So... I think that's why I like road biking, too, is that I remember it was a few years ago coming down Boulder Canyon with my friend Jeff and Monty. And the three of us were navigating these turns. And I 
just realized it's probably the closest I'll ever be to being in a fighter jet, but I felt like I was flying and mm. this unique combination, like skiing with flying and the motion and the speed. And mm. that's like, that's ultimately, I think why I like road biking so much. Yeah, it's great. You're just, yeah, you're gliding, you know, and it's just, you become, it's like this union, you know, of machine and nature and your own self, you know, awareness and stuff all at once. I, yeah. I don't know how else people always go, oh, you know, that's kind of meditative and, you know, or you're doing your meditation and movement. And I'm like, well, that's what yoga is to me, you know, and it's, it's a union of all those things. So the bike does that and horses used to do that. And I used to love to ride jumpers, motorcycles, um, jump out of planes. <laughs> snowboard really? yeah any anything pretty much that gave me that feeling yeah it's just love it how many times so, did you go skydiving twice okay yeah the, the first time was amazingly scary i didn't think i was going to be that scared i was terrified um when we were going out the door i just screamed and I screamed for the longest time. Yeah, I think my voice just went eh, at one point, you know, and the instructor just like pointed her out and around, you know, and that was it. I was hooked, you know, um, I, I stopped screaming, started looking and enjoying. And we got to the bottom and I'm like, let's do this again. So the next week we went up again. Really? Yeah. So that was what really a tandem fun. jump or is that what they call yeah, it? Yeah, it was, was tandem it? jumping. Yeah. So didn't have to go through all the instruction and all that. Oh, good. So, yeah, because the instructor is motivated to survive. Just yes, as well as <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. yes, definitely. <laughs> we have a shared interest in the outcome. <laughs> Absolutely, you go out that door and you, you, yeah, you do what he says, or he just grabs you, and you're like, okay. So yeah, the second time I didn't scream, except for like woohoo, yahoo, you know those sort of things. Yeah, yeah where was that? that? Was amazing, you do that? out in the desert in California. Okay, yeah, so. It was really cool. I actually traded. Um, it was funny because I met the man. I taught him how to inline skate. And we traded a pair of skates and lessons for a tandem jump. I got the best deal. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So. I've never been skydiving. I've been bungee jumping twice. Yeah. That one scares me. That whole being attached to that rope that'll swing you back into something. Yeah. That's kind of... But so kudos there. I did it. There's a <clears throat> sort of north of Denver, like the Kono or somewhere. There's okay. there was this field. So it was a, a company that did it out of hot air balloons. So you'd go up in the basket and then climb out onto a like a two by that 12. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't believe transom it. On the back. Yeah. yeah, I can't believe this was actually like approved by any sort of wow. agency. But yeah, I did it twice. And. It was just a blur. Like it was just, yeah, it was, it was fine. Yeah. I did it twice. And yeah. That was the earliest drink I'd ever had in my life. Cause we were out there like at 6am uh-huh. in the summer <laughs> and we, we had, I think uh, Jack and Coke's waiting oh, in the wow. car. <laughs> and so I think Before it was like you jump. after, oh, okay. <laughs> after. so we survived and it was good. And then we, go. we mixed Toasted. them up and yeah, I think it was probably Seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning. So yeah, and you right. hadn't stayed up the whole night. So there you go. Yeah. Oh, I rolled over <laughs> at four fifteen before the alarm even went off. Yeah. It was just one of the most nervous I think I'd ever been in my life. Oh, 
I had never thought about you know, jumping out of a hot air balloon. I went up in one in um, Jackson Hole in Wyoming. A friend of mine used to be one of those people that they chase them. So when they land, they, oh, okay. they you know pick it up with the trailer and all that. And one morning, I guess they were short passengers. Um, whoever was supposed to go up didn't show up. And so she comes in and wakes me up. She's like, come on, we're going up in a hot air balloon. And that was the most amazing thing. And we went over those horse pastures and it was in the autumn and all the leaves. Oh. And it was just, oh, just beautiful, you know, and you get up over the Tetons and just... It's just like a painting, you know, yeah. it's just beautiful. But never thought about jumping out of it, though. <laughs> Not that time. Well, I wouldn't recommend it unless you're tied to it. Tied to it. <laughs> That'd be yeah. a one-way trip. Yeah, it's a short base jump. <laughs> so you were talking last night that this is your fourth career. Oh, goodness, and, yes. Yeah, so what were your other three up to this point? And my other three, I started in the garment industry. I was a textile engineer and a fashion designer for junior sportswear. Um, my dad was in the industry and so I just followed suit. That's what I was supposed to do. And I loved it. I mean, loved textiles and all that and designing. And then one day I decided I really disliked the industry mm. and, you know, the, the behind the scenes part of the, the sales and the just the cutting rooms and, you know, not, not, our actual facility. I mean, I loved working with the people and the designers and pattern makers and all that, but the contractors and just the way people were treated and things like that. Mm. So, and, um, was it kind of ugly once you found out about that? Like, I mean, was it, it was, I, you know, you kind of always knew what it was, but when you're right in the middle of it, I uh, became a production manager for a while just to, I wanted to learn every aspect of it. So I would do all the ordering of the trims and the buttons and the fabrics and and work with the contractors, the sewers, you know, and they would outsource most things. And um, before we started sending everything overseas, we did it here. But the factories weren't much better and the conditions weren't much, much better than what you see overseas. Mm. Actually, they were probably worse because back then we didn't have all these laws and nobody cared oh. about you know, factory workers and so forth. And you had children and women that were just mistreated and just, it was horrible. It really was um, not something I like to see or be part of. And it was very difficult to make changes being a woman, being a young woman, especially back then. And um, nobody cared, you know, and also there was a huge gap, you know, the gender gap. Men got paid two, three times more than I did for the same type of jobs. And that was really unfair. So I ended my career on a, on a high note. Um, my head designer, myself, and our pattern maker. And uh, we, we did really well. And um, Tommy Awards, which were the fabric awards or the, the sports bar awards and um, fashion awards of the time. And we went through that. and went off on our merry ways <laughs> and I went to the beach. <laughs> they kept doing whatever they kept doing. And I went to the beach and, uh, what was the, what was the garment or the company that you created or the, the product line, the product line? Uh, I worked with switch USA, uh, my boyfriend, body wave and some different Marciana apparel. Um, I went through three different 
manufacturers. So learning my way through. And before that was some really awesome designers in Texas, actually. Um, Barboglio sisters. Um, mm. They're two Mexican women who are amazing, beautiful, wonderful human beings who did different a total different aspect of the business. I, I would have stuck if I was with them, I think, a lot longer in the business. So, but we went off and we learned, did things. You know, you have to fly away and grow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, so like I said, and then I went to the beach. <laughs> it was time to quit that. And um, I kept designing. I love textiles. And um, a friend of mine was working at a kite shop. And she was making flags and banners and kites and things like that. And I was kind of helping her and having fun and just hanging out. And I was pretty much on a hiatus and didn't need to work at the time. And life was good, you know. And the owner of the shop liked me and we got along well. And he decided he had to go to Europe. I think it was there was family. His, his mom was ill or something. And it was, um, here's the keys. Please watch the shop. <laughs> it was like, all right, <laughs> you know, I'm what, 28 years old and kite shop on the beach and, you know, what could go wrong? And so it was really great, actually. And one day somebody walked in and said, I want these banners, you know, where are they? I ordered them, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you never ordered them. I don't have an order. There is no order. We never cut them, sewed them or anything, well, you know. He's like, well, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm like, fine, but you'll be back because the ones from those guys, I won't mention the name, are pretty crappy. So you're going to want new ones, you know, and um, he liked that about me, I guess, and turned around and came back in and we discussed making banners and flags for his business and really cool place on Venice Beach and I went out there the next morning with the first batch of them, and he was all impressed that we got them done. You know, stayed up all night making flags. Overnight. Yeah. Because wow. <laughs> he needed them. There was, like, a big press conference, and um, I don't know, all this stuff going on out there. So um, he offered me the, the flagship store, or space, I guess you want to call it at the time, um, beachfront, and this really cool little development made by um, Charlie Chaplin back in the 20s. Hmm. And it was a beautiful building and they were restoring it. And um, he's like, you know, why don't you put a kite shop right there in the front on the beach? And I'm like, OK. <laughs> <laughs> and went back and spoke with my friend Helen, who was the seamstress at the other kite shop and said, um, you have a new job. Do you want to come work with me? We're going to open up on the beach, you know, as soon as Anders gets back and, you know, we give him back his place. And, <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm going to start opening up my own kite shop. And we did. And it was amazing and had a really good time and did all kinds of really crazy fun things. Stunt kites, regular kites, worked with the community a lot. Um, the movie stars. Tell me about the movie no. stars. Come on. <laughs> yes, there were name movie drop. stars. <laughs> you got a name drop for were me. Name dropping. Uh, mm. There were movie stars and producers. Got to work with the studios a bit. And um, we had uh, Steven Spielberg. We were out at his house doing kite demos and teaching kids how to fly. And uh, that was actually really fun to watch people like Spielberg watch us. 
you know, and, and be interested in the, in the aerodynamics and, and sure. everything involved, you know, with the kite flying, because stunt flying is different than just regular kite flying, you know, so it's, it takes strength and agility and you got to, you know, you learn routines and things and you got to know about the wind and all the things that are going on at once. Right. So, um, it was pretty, it was kind of cool. I'll have to admit. Yeah. I was a little starstruck <laughs> there The you know, there were quite a few celebrities that day. It was a birthday party. So it was a lot of fun. About what year was that for uh, Spielberg? That would have been 89. Okay. I want to say 88, 89. So he, post ET, post Raiders and the Lost Ark. So yeah. he's definitely on the map at that point. Yeah, he was on the map. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, because he had just moved out to a new place up on the coast. But yeah, so it had to be right around there. So I kind cool. of lose track of the decades. <laughs> They'll kind of blur, you know. I don't get older. Time just keeps going by. So you know, I still feel like that kid on the beach. It's all good. So, so then kites, and then what was career number three? Kites. Well, kites kind of went into inline skates. When we did inline skates and kites, and I kept moving into the outdoor industry. Um, through that, uh, eventually made my way to Colorado, uh, opening up a couple of kite shops called the Skate Shops here in Colorado with a great team of people. And um, from there, stayed in the outdoor industry, um, always cycling, you know, always had a bike, always had a motorcycle during this time, so skated, you know, pretty much anything that moved. Um, Rarely a car, although I had a really cool convertible Volkswagen back then. It was fun. A bug? A bug, yeah. Nice. An old bug, yeah. And, um, but yeah, I came to Colorado and stayed in the industry, worked for some of the bigger retailers for a while, opening up stores like um, Garts and Galleons and things like that. Oh, Galleons, yeah. yeah. I haven't heard that name for a while. Yeah, Galleons was great, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give them a little boost there. Galleons was great. and. Um, some really amazing people worked for that company, you know, so it was a lot of fun. And during all this time, I was going to school. I went back to school, working on different degrees, language degrees, teaching degrees and certifications and and then melded into my next career. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to the skating, one of my favorite <clears throat> documentaries of all time was the one that Stacy Peralta did, um, Dogtown and Z-Boys. Okay. Have you ever seen that? No, uh-uh, um, but I know of it, yeah. Yeah, and just about the skate scene in Southern California and how mm-hmm. skateboards went from kind of <clears throat> like a toy mm-hmm. to this whole industry. And it was, mm-hmm. I was really amazed by it because... It, they had everything on film, like the transition. So I equate it to kind of like if they had film back when baseball was invented and seeing yeah. it morph to what it is now, but watching, and I, I never got in the bowls or the half pipes or anything, mm-hmm. but I, I had a skateboard when I was a kid, but mm-hmm. being able to witness that and the stories behind that and then how it went to like Tony Hawk and all that yeah. stuff. Now. Tony's amazing and yeah. still is amazing. Yeah. 
Very cool. Well, you still you still paddle on a big board. <laughs> I do. With wheels. I've heard some good stories there. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, if you're on the bike path, just watch out for... <laughs> yeah, the, the tall guy with the paddle board, yeah. Yeah, no brakes. It's <laughs> all right, no brakes. Oh, gosh. Stories with no brakes. Bicycles with no brakes. My first big bike was... Um, a 10-speed, a Royce Union. It was a men's Royce Union. It was up in Canada. And it was like a friend of the family type thing. And he had bought a better bike. And I bought this one off him. But you see me, I'm a, quite a small person. This belonged to a large man. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm on this bike. The seat post is down as low as it can go. And it's way too big. And the brakes don't work. Yeah. Ah, brakes just slow brakes, you down. Yeah. You don't need brakes. No. And I used to ride that thing around like crazy. I actually had that bike for maybe 10 years, you know. It went through other bikes, but I, I kept it. It was just sentimental until somebody stole it in California. Assholes. I know, right? Mean people suck. <laughs> <laughs> they do. So, but hopefully somebody got a good ride, you know, and they used it for to get around or whatever they needed it for. But yeah, no brakes. Bikes with no brakes are good. Anyway. So next career. So where is this? Three? No, four? Uh, so yeah, you mentioned the language of teaching. Yeah, the first three kind of meshed together. There were actually two, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, so I became a teacher by accident. What did you teach? I taught third grade dual language. Okay. And bilingual eventually. Um, Which languages? Uh, Spanish. Okay. Mostly um, taught in Colorado and in New Mexico. And um, taught a little French. But uh, I'd gotten, like I said, I'd gone back to school. And a professor asked me to cover some of his adult ed classes. So I did that, and um, it was terrifying, really terrifying the first day. I had, like, 29 students in there, and I was like, oh, I did not expect all these people to be staring <laughs> back at me, <laughs> and they want something from me, you know, and it was kind of, it was kind of scary, so I remember writing my name up on the board, and taking a deep breath and turning around and just sat myself up on the desk because behind the desk was like ridiculous. I was just way too small to look over it. <laughs> and, uh, it was pretty funny. And they all thought it was pretty funny. So we all laughed, had a good joke and it was great after that. I got hooked. I kept doing that. Um, I went back actually like for two, three years and taught adult ed and taught third through fifth grade. Spanish, um, and then ended up in New Mexico by accident. I just went down there to interview, to practice, to see what was out there. I really wanted to live in Durango. Oh, sure. And um, they weren't hiring or they weren't paying enough, basically, so that you could live in Durango. And I crossed the border into New Mexico, and I interviewed with this beautiful, amazing woman um, who was a principal of one of the school districts down there and um, ended up teaching third grade. I had no clue. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. They didn't even have a curriculum for it. And it was like, here, take all these books home for the summer and build us a curriculum. And you're going to be teaching, you know, third grade, dual language, full inclusion. So I had like Anglo kids and Latino kids and 
just this whole mishmash of bilingual speaking kids, which was amazing. You know, these kids read, wrote, spoke in two languages, like perfectly. You know, did math in one language, reading in another, science in another. You know, it was just, oh, it was great fun. Probably the best experience I ever had. So, but you never actually went to school to be a teacher, right? I, I didn't go to school to be a teacher at first. Okay. I went and got my um, degree in uh, modern classical languages. And from there, earned my teaching certificates. I did um, K through eight and K through 12. and got um, what they asked for, like English learners. And you get all different kinds of certifications so i went through the whole thing and got for everything i could possibly do i did i just i love learning you know so if i can learn more to teach others then i was really happy with it you know or just learn for myself so i was teaching and i wanted to start a little sideline business which eventually i wanted to grow into a non-profit to help um girls and women get into cycling and um, eventually extended actually until Central and South America you know and, and work with um, places that you know they didn't have oh sorry I got stuck on words there um, <laughs> that, that didn't have the mobility access you know and things like that and, and how bicycles can be used for sustainable projects and everything from running mills and machinery and washing things and just on and on and on. So, and getting girls to school, which is a huge thing. And as we know, in, in some countries and, um, anyway, so that was the basis and, uh, the building blocks, which I had hoped to get going on with, with BC bits and then life changed. Um, did you want to talk about that a little bit? We can talk about that. Sure. <laughs> um, I moved to Texas um, after my father had passed away, and um, I was still teaching school and got a job down there. I went and hung out with mom, and everything was well and great, and I was traveling in my off time and um, started my designs for BC Bits. I was doing them. Jersey designs and t-shirt designs and things that I wanted to have, like building a portfolio and still teaching school. Went to Europe for a summer, had an amazing time all over Europe. Got little sneak peeks of the Tour of France while I was there, <laughs> so that was exciting. Um, just great. Life was great. Life has always been great. Um, big, beautiful. I mean, I've had a great, big, beautiful life, um, full of adventures and amazing stuff, and... Um, came back and um, as as I usually do when in Europe um, I ate my way through Europe <laughs> <laughs> so I had to come back and start training for um, I wanted to do the iron horse down in um, southern Colorado down in Dur oh, Durango yeah. area um, and also the hotter than hell um, Wichita which would have been a first for me because I'd never ridden in that kind of heat for that long so I was doing trainings in Dallas and I just got back I was on my way home actually from um, from a ride from a training ride and um, about four blocks from home 
I heard a noise, and that's really the only way I can describe it. I heard this huge explosion of glass and metal and just just this big, huge boom, and didn't realize that it was me making this noise as I was going through a car's windshield up onto the roof and from the roof out forward onto the asphalt ahead. Um, still attached to my bicycle during the whole time. Because the, the one thing I do remember is um, hearing this beautiful, and this is kind of crazy, but hearing this beautiful little voice that wasn't my voice. It was just very, it was almost choir-like, okay, for lack of a better word, saying, hold on to your bike, hold on to your bike. And I did. I was gripped and tucked and clipped and (laughs) actually bent the handlebar, left one over the right. I held on so tightly to my bike that when I hit the ground in front of this car, I was still clipped in. (laughs) Crazy, right? That's amazing. Amazing. And nothing was broken except my bike. My, My whole bike was just Everything from the the seat back was completely gone. And um, at some point I stood up, threw my helmet at the man who had hit me. Um, You got hit from behind. I got hit from behind. I guess I didn't say that. Yes, I got hit from behind. I was rear-ended. Some older gentleman, poor guy. It was truly an accident, and um, he just didn't see me. And he said he was going about 45 miles an hour. And I must have been doing about 23 because I know the spot I was at and I was just about to hit a climb and a light and, you know, you get used to those places where you got to book a little bit. And um, I was up on my pedals and I believe that's what saved me because if I would have been on my seat, he would have hit me just straight on. So basically he hit my bike and flipped me over his car and blah, 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 blah. And so... I don't remember anything else, and I actually don't remember anything for about two and a half years afterwards. I had complete loss of memory, no instantaneous memory. Like, I would pour a glass of water, and I would forget about it. I would forget that I was even thirsty. It was the craziest thing. I didn't recognize people. I didn't recognize myself sometimes. Um, I've got notes and photos and conversations and everybody's told me all the things that happened during that time. And crazy, I was in South America. We were on some philanthropy, philanthropy projects. Sorry, I have a bit of a speech impediment at times. Because of this accident, I incurred a, a brain injury. Um, oh, you're doing fine. Don't. Thanks. Don't worry about <laughs> but, it at all. Um, so that, that was the biggest part of the accident. So, you know, there was a the memory loss. There was vision impairment. There was all kinds of crazy, um, you know, speech. I speak several languages. I could barely speak English at the time. I, I lost all my skills, like math. I, I couldn't add, like, the simplest, you know, second and third grade equations and things and um, hold my my whole life changed um, it's just uh, it's a very strange thing to happen because during my initial recovery time I thought I was going to get better 
you know, like I kept my teaching job and they, they threw in a sub, you know, and said, well, we'll see you, you know, in a couple months and type of thing. And I guess I never made it to that. Um, so I lost my, I lost my teaching career. I, I, I basically, I couldn't do anything for a couple of years. And brain injury is, is um, a very strange thing because every single person is affected differently. And you can have from the tiniest bump on the head to a full-on get hit by a car or all, all sorts of things. I mean, strokes are involved. They, it, all, it covers so much. Um, and what I had was a, they call a moderate closed head injury. Basically, my skull was intact and there was no, you know, nothing broke on the outside but everything got smushed and crushed and every, on the inside and because um, I hit the um, the area which covers all your processing so m- my brain is not able to compartmentalize things it, everything comes at once so it's uh, it's over sensory the whole time and, and it's interesting to live this way because sometimes it's beautiful um, I'll walk outside in the mornings and people see a blue sky and trees and leaves and grass and stuff I see everything like in high definition um, so those wow. leaves that you see just some colors I get to see all the veins and the scales of them and it, it's it's amazing to the point where it's very emotional sometimes and I can't look at something for more than a couple moments because it's actually it's like it's highly pixelated um, which is really interesting you know if you if you think about the science of it all and so forth so I'm thinking if if reincarnation is real and I come back, I want to be some kind of neuroscientist (laughs) (laughs) because this stuff really fascinates me. So um, anyway, so brain injury. Yeah. So I um, my whole life changed and um, I've been learning a lot about brain injury. I I support a lot of brain injury causes. I volunteer at the Bind, the Brain Injury Network of Dallas, where I'm still living, and um, and kept on pedaling. Um, I was in rehab for a while, and they said that every single day I begged to ride my bicycle, <laughs> and um, eventually they let me. And the funny thing was that I could ride my bike better than I can walk. I had more balance on a bicycle than walking um, because they they really don't know why other than the fact that I'm attached to something and muscle memory. My muscles know that that's what I do and have been doing since I was, you know, a small child. So it's the most natural thing in the world to do, you know, be on a bike, a moto, a horse, whatever it may be. And to ride, so it's kind of kind of crazy again how our brains work and and what they remember to do correctly and so forth. And and walking was difficult. I will shoot back to nothing broke. Um, I did break my ankle. Um, that was the only thing that that happened, and they fused it. So um, I, I had some issues walking, but that was separate from the actual brain injury, which still I have a difficult time walking. If I walk for more than a mile. Or if I'm fatigued, 
you might think I'm drunk. I just start weaving hmm. <laughs> and I can't follow a straight line and um, it's just kind of bizarre. So I ride my bike a lot. I prefer to anyway. So. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and live in areas where you can ride, ride, ride to, you know, to the grocery store, this, that, and the other. Get out of our cars. People, we need to get out of our cars. <laughs> Um, anyway, so eventually I had to do something and through rehab, I started learning to coordinate my hands and my brain and all these functions that had just basically become separate, you know, things you never think about, you know, that, that your, your brain tells your fingers what to do before you even actually think of it out loud or in your head, you know, and, um, but they didn't know what to do. So I, I started learning how to bead, which I had done many years ago, but I would take these large children's beads that I had from my art projects from kids and class, and I would start stringing them together and and then I found these metal bikes online, and I, I purchased some of those and made little miniature sun catchers to hang outside um, just to practice coordination more than anything else and, and with a theme that I enjoyed. And as I progressed and got better at it, I thought, huh, I can make these. <laughs> <laughs> so I designed my own bicycles. I, I from the bikes that I owned and, and a friend's bike and so forth and, and had them cut in metal shapes and started collecting really cool glass beads and I had some stored from before from my travels from all over the world and um, started putting together these little strung up metal bikes and threw them on Facebook and, um, and the funny part is I don't recall any of that um how I set it up, how I started, how it's all in notes and all in photos. and But that's how BC Bits actually began. <laughs> so when you see those photos, does it trigger any sort of recollection at all? No. No, it's really funny because it's... Like you're seeing it for the first time. I think I'm seeing it for the first time. It's <clears> like, <throat> I know that it happened. There's there's such a huge difference between knowing something occurred and actually recalling it. Um, at times, that gets a little mixed up because if you see something enough times, you, you it becomes part of your memory and, and you think, oh, yeah, I, I remember doing that, but no, I actually don't. You know, there's there's photos of me in, in Argentina with a whole crew called um, Road Monkey, which were, are really awesome, go down and do sustainable projects and so forth. And I met folks down there and made friends and, you know, we spent time doing all these great things and... I barely remember any of the trip. And there was like five or six little things out of 10 or 15 days that I recall. And the rest is all in photographs or in conversations that I've had since then. You know, stayed friends with those people and so forth. And so, but no, no, absolutely no recollection. And it's weird. And people are always like, oh, let me try and jog your memory. I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> it's like, no, it just, it's, it's God. Yeah, my memory does not want to, you know. And I believe that a lot of it is, is kind of your brain protecting you, you know, because I'm sure there was a ton of pain. I mean, I was bruised and banged and scraped and scarred. I mean, I, I'm scarred from head to toe. 
but I don't recall any of that pain, uh, which is great. You know, um, and the the initial shock, the emotional um, pain that I must have gone through. Um, I don't recall it. <clears throat> so I think that I, I don't want those memories. I don't think there's a need to have those memories. You know, Agreed. Because every morning I wake up and it's a new day. Um, I do have journals from back then where I used to wake up and think, oh, life is good, I'm going to work, and I would step, I have a really huge bed, and I would actually have to step off my bed, and as soon as I did that, I'd realize that, oh, something is really, really wrong, and I'd have to try to recall what had happened, and it was just really weird, <laughs> you know, like, uh, uh, my notes aren't very complete or very legible from that time, but I guess I never remembered when I wake up every morning what had happened to me, so it was starting every day with the, this thing happened and blah, 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 and so forth, so now we're eight years into it, and I wake up every day, and I usually wake up with a smile on my face. I'm, I'm one of those annoying people that you hate because I'm up before the sunrise and life is grand and all is good and let's go for it. So, you know, that's where I am. Well, and I love people like that. I mean, that's <laughs> when you reached out on Instagram and, uh, you know, we started talking. I just remember even from your, just from your posts, there's... Um, positivity and just sort of a joy from your feed and what you post. Thank you. And then from our first conversation on the phone, I was like, I just, I think it's a choice, right? People can choose to be happy or they can look to find misery and you'll find either one. And that's why I just was like, I, I remember after that first phone call, just talking to you, I was like, She's great. I'm just going to call her if I'm ever <laughs> if I'm ever in a bad mood. <laughs> so yeah, I love the fact that you're up and positive and happy because I look at it like, well, what other option do you have? That that's it, you know. <clears throat> Excuse me, my little horse this morning. Um, that that's it. It's like what what options are there? There's really only two. Right. You live or you don't live, or you survive or you live. Um, I don't like being a survivor. I'd rather be the warrior. You know, people call us brain injury survivors. I, I just slash that brain injury, you know, and it's like, I'm a TBI warrior. Um, That's your next T-shirt right there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Seriously. Yeah, thanks. Good idea. That would be good. Something on the side, something fun. And um, that would be a, a great fundraiser, I think, too, for, for the cause. Uh, all right, we're doing that. <laughs> You're I'll on. talk about it after we stop recording. I've got an idea. That I just want to release it. I don't want to. <laughs> there you go. Okay, we'll keep, we'll keep that one. Definitely. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so BC Bits, you know, BC Bits came from all that. It changed. It changed from its original being, shall we say, and, and um, it's on a much, much smaller scale um, because I can only do so much a day. Uh, I have about four hours of product, productive brain time a day, um, usually in the mornings. Um, by midday, I, I need to rest and sleep, and, and then I, I start over in the evenings, um, 
and do artwork and things like that at night where I don't actually have to have conversations with people because the speech impediment really gets bad um, when the brain gets fatigued. So anyways. I can't even tell. I mean, if you think you have a speech impediment now, I, I can't even tell. I don't <laughs> know you. what part you think you're. Well, it's actually uses a ton of energy speaking. Really? Um, yeah, it's, it's something that and it's funny because I was studying to be well, my master's was special ed gifted children with dual, dual exceptionalities. So I. I learned a lot about this before it actually happened to me, so that was kind of interesting. But yeah, just the process of making words and, and having them come out of your mouth and, and everything your brain does to sort it out is exhausting to me. I, I know that I sound like I'm having this conversation, but if there were to be other noise or other people involved or... You, you saw me in a setting where we were in like a restaurant atmosphere, a mm-hmm. bar, or at the race. I didn't say much. I, I listened. And whatever I said was usually clipped. And most people don't notice it because there's all these other things going on. <clears throat> so, it, you know, no one really pays attention. But your brain uses up so much energy. And with my processing issues, I actually have to think out loud in my head before it comes out and especially in in different languages oh sure and um it's weird so i'm actually translating to myself in english <laughs> if that makes sense so anyway yeah that's well it totally does that when i was in my 30s i found out i had uh, adhd and my particular, my particular form of it was that, and I actually have worn a tinfoil hat in the psychiatrist's office with <laughs> electrodes and wow. stuff. And my form is that it's not that I can't pay attention, that my frontal lobes are always on. Yeah. So I pay attention to everything all the time. Yeah. And in situations like you were describing about the restaurants, I, I'm better because I can detect that I'm getting overwhelmed, Uh but I don't like it either. And that's what will make me tired. Like if it's loud, like a sports bar is the worst environment for me because there's 37 TVs and they're not synced up. They're all playing different NFL games. So now <laughs> I've got to look at the Eagles Steelers. I've got to look at the Patriots Broncos. And I have to acknowledge and filter all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then um, for me, the auditory processing is the hardest because what will happen is that, and I've trained myself to be able to focus on this conversation. I'm 100% present. I'm here. But if there's a lot of speaking, like if the TV was on, what would happen is that it's almost like a volume switch. Like the fader would come in where you'd be mid-sentence and all of a sudden my brain starts picking up Uh the commercial for Sawoya Law Firm. And then I'm still looking at you and your mouth is moving, but all of a sudden like the audio track has been replaced with the TV. And so I have to... Yeah, and I, I've, and I had no idea. So like when you talk about memories not being there, probably for the first 30 years of my life, simply because I was not present where I was. Uh-huh. 
I don't have a whole lot of memories of stuff oh, wow. because I was not paying attention because I'd be sitting, sitting here, for example, and thinking about, oh, I've got to blow the leaves out and I've got to do that. So I would literally depart, well, metaphorically depart yeah. uh, where I was mentally and just be gone. Yeah, so there's stuff that I just don't recall. So Kendra, who you met in Buena Vista, I yes. joke that she's my handler because she remembers <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> so she's like, she's really good at that part, right? <laughs> yeah. So she's like, you know, when you see somebody lean over and whisper in the president's ear, she'll like lean over and say, oh, hey, you know, some factoid. <laughs> but like, I don't remember any of that shit. Because she's, she's got your to do list, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, but, that's funny, though, how it works, though, isn't it? It's interesting. Yeah. And even even that is different for everybody because it has to do with our brains again, the ADHD factor. Mm-hmm. Because I have it, like you said, we you know forever you you had. Most people are born with it, or something causes it. And when you have a brain injury, it actually magnifies those things. Mm. So that's interesting. And separate from what you said it's like yes you you pay attention to absolutely everything but do you also get like that tunnel vision when you're working on something oh yeah like severe focus on something yes yeah yeah it pegs the needle both well I'm trying to stay in the middle it pegs the needle both ways where it's like uh, air traffic controller where I see all the the planes on the radar Uh and I'm processing all those or what you just mentioned, the, the term is hyper-focus, yeah. where I lose track of time, space, and it happens when, it happens, I have to do several things. Like, I've got these really nice Sony noise-canceling headphones, uh-huh. and I'll put on music, and sometimes I'll even put on the same song on repeat. Yes. So, so then <laughs> I'm blocking out <laughs> all the, the auditory mm-hmm. and then that even fades in the background. So it's playing in my ears, but I don't hear it. And if I'll be working on like a, a design, like an illustrator, it'll be like, Oh, I'll like sit up and stretch and go, Oh, I've, this is, it's been an hour. Yeah. And it feels like a millisecond. <laughs> And I actually love that feeling because that means that I've been <clears throat> down the rabbit hole and productive and focused. And yeah, so that's kind of where I have to, to get to, or, or I'm trying to build that up and get to that. Focused area. Yes. I do that with artwork as well. It's really bad. It'll be nighttime and it's two in the morning. And I'm drawing and I'm on the computer or a piece of paper. I love pencil and paper. I'm I'm so old school, you know, and I have just paper everywhere, which is horrible. <laughs> I know, but, but I know where every sheet is and I can find them in all my little piles and sticky notes. And we spoke about sticky notes. I, I've been compiling a book for a long, long time. I was very much into photography, yeah. which I've actually lost some ability there because during the time of my brain injury, I had just purchased right prior to it um, a new digital camera and before that I was on film oh. so I never quite learned to use my digital camera very well um, and I've, I've had difficulty learning since the brain injury that's another thing I, I, I don't I don't retain 
information the way I used to be able to. And I used to be a sponge, which anyway, when you talk about memories and so forth, even with the ADHD, I, I recall everything pretty much from the time I was three. And it's really kind of creepy <laughs> because I know where we were, what we were wearing, what we were talking about and all these things. And then I have this big chunk of life where I don't recall anything at all. And um, anyway, sorry, I'm getting off track again. Um, we well, do following. that a lot being ADHD. <laughs> but I'm totally following. <laughs> I like butterfly conversations. There That's what go. I call them. Yeah, I can't I think, handle a straight line. There you go. Yeah, things just <laughs> flutter in and out, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um yeah, that's kind of my world, pretty much, you know, and 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 so, oh yeah, hyper focus. So, anyway, so photography, books, yes, sticky notes. My life has pretty much been on a sticky note, and um, nobody take that; it's already copywritten. <laughs> <laughs> my life on a sticky note, and that's pretty much going to be my book once I get to it. I've started it, and it's uh, it's a photographic journal, um, is what I or what I would like it to be. It's 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 quotes of the day with thoughts and things that have happened or <clears throat> memories or lack of memories and, and photos describe it and so forth and um, I, I write I've always written I actually feel more comfortable writing than I do speaking and have ever since I was a child I was the quiet child in class mm. um, my teachers always would send home notes um, <clears throat> Sylvana doesn't participate in class activities and so forth, but I did. I was just, honestly, I was bored and I was going in 10 other directions and I was doodling and I was writing and I was reading and wild class was going on. Um, always completed my assignments. Uh, later on in life, graduated with straight A's and cum laude and that whole, you know, thing that people think is important in school. Um, kids, it is important, but, um, <laughs> you know, there's so much else out there. And um, anyway, so yeah, so book, going to do the book. One of these days, the book will be done. I'm going to hold you to that. Okay. I want to see that. We can make it like a fundraiser for... Um bind or somebody we'll do it. yeah I, I think I still want to do something really big for for girls on bikes we're going to do something big for that as well as brain injury so we'll make we'll make that happen definitely I've got all these plans for you oh you have plans for me oh I am so not that young anymore you know that right <laughs> I'm really good at telling people what to do with their dreams. There you go. You know, and poor Matt, I have to add into this conversation. Matt invited me to come visit him at his home after we met up in Buena Vista, Colorado for a, a cycle cross race. I was going to Buena Vista. Totally he random. Was, yes, random yeah. connection. Which is a really cool experience. Yeah, we, we spoke before this trip and he said, oh, I'm going to be there. And I said, well, I'm going to be there too. So met him and his friends and had a lovely, amazing time. And um, came back to Denver and I was working in the area and he said, you know, come visit at my house. And so he kind of got stuck with me for about a week. <laughs> and no. All kinds of crazy madness of drama have happened since. And um, you have been amazing and such a great host. And I appreciate you so much. Um, I've made a new friend and this is awesome. And um, Matt has unfortunately seen some, the other side of my so not happy life. <laughs> <laughs> 
which which is fine. But he, he, I hope you also see that I, I am still that happy person that wakes up every day and, and wants to do these things that you're going to hold me to. <laughs> so I, I really want BC Bits to grow, and I really want to um, to do something important with it, um, and not for me because honestly, I. I'm fine. I'm fine with life. I'm fine with um, financially. Well, yes, we can all use a little bit more in in that department. Um, I give away all my money. Most people don't know that. I actually don't make money with BC Bits. I donate most of it to charities or it goes back into just building inventory. Um, I also support... I, I keep saying I, and I, I actually don't like conversations that start that way or sentences, but it's just me at the moment, and um, I, I just want to keep growing it and and doing things with it and doing good, and what comes of it, we shall see. So there you go. And, and well, that's I, wonderful. Uh, I, I appreciate you having me here. This has been really cool. It's been quite an experience. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I've always wanted to have a, a house where anybody and everybody feels welcome. And it's been great that even on that, before that Buena Vista trip, I had a friend stay here basically all day after we left working on photos and the fact that you're here and just... It's been, I've always wanted a, a place like that. So it's been wonderful and I'm happy you felt welcome. And you. despite some drama, it's okay. That's <laughs> life. But um, I, I was actually honored that I was able to be there and help you. So that's great. Well, you did. Thank you. And um, I'll just put a little note out there. Should we tell Pilks what happened? Of course. Uh, <clears throat> my car got totaled a few days ago. <laughs> <laughs> because it just doesn't seem like I, I I don't know I just keep getting hit and I really really I'm putting out this to the whole universe okay going up to the ethers and bounce back with sunlight please stop hitting me people <laughs> <laughs> please I have been run over three times actually on my bicycle and the third time stuck I have been rear-ended in my cars and a year and a half ago suffered a huge concussion because of a hit and run where a man rear-ended me in my car and then this time it totaled my beautiful little car so you guys that know me and see me out there in my little silver robe with all my beastie bit stuff it is no more but I'll be back and um <laughs> so you got a sweet ass sprinter van. I do there. have. I have a little, you know, thanks to uh, or a transit, whatever that is. Yeah, a little transit cargo van going on there. That's going to get me back home with all my stuff and my bike. You know, my bike. I have to go pick up my bike. And um, anyway, so I'm just really looking forward to going for a bike ride. And that's my whole thing today. I'm just really looking forward to going for a bike ride. So it's a beautiful day in Colorado, folks. The skies are blue. The sun is shining. And and all is well with the planet. It really is. We hear about so much bad stuff. Do not let that become your life. Don't, don't let that just, you know soak up in your brain and and your emotions and so forth because there are really more beautiful things than bad things on this planet and I've traveled 
a lot on my own, actually, um, for about 30 years, traveled mostly by myself to 36 countries, and 99.9% of the time encountered beautiful, wonderful, generous, amazing people. Um, some had tons more than I will ever imagine in my life, and many had so much less than anybody you know um, could possibly live with. I mean, they, their struggles or everything was just, but they always had room in their heart to take in somebody, to feed somebody, to be kind, you know, I've, I've found myself in situations where, you know, I, I needed help and people just take you in. They feed you, they pass you on to their friends, they, you know, just, the world is really, really a beautiful place. So don't let all this madness and division and craziness and bad stuff that you hear about gets you down because it's up to each and every one of us, you know, to, to go out and do something good every day. Just, and if everybody does one little, one little tiny gesture, you know, of goodness every day, it's okay. I couldn't have summarized it any better than that. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, Sylvana Montero, BC Bits, buy t-shirts, buy jewelry, (laughs) buy the the Brain Warrior t-shirt when it comes out. There you go. And the book when it comes out. And the book and and some sun catchers because that will continuously get your eye smile on, you know, some bright sunshine every day. Awesome. (laughs) I'll post links to your uh, store and your Instagram when I post this, but cool. Thank you, man. It's been great. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Anytime. The door is probably literally open. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm not telling you where he lives, folks. There's no food in the fridge though, but there's always beer. It's good. (laughs) Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much. 